relationships that are built on the Lord Jesus Christ. It is refreshing to have those relationships. And the more you do it, the more you see the value of it. And then you realize that everything that that we do that is based around the will of God and the word of God and, and for the purpose of Christ and, and in obedience to him, everything that we do, we're investing in eternity. On this episode of General Order 4, we will continue our discussion on having a life of discipleship. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about how Paul followed Christ's model of discipleship. taking up a slightly different topic, um, but just reinforcing what we talked about in the last two weeks' episodes about how Christ was a model of discipleship and having a life of discipleship. And we also wanted to take an, uh, a time to emphasize this from the book of Acts and forward in the life of the Apostle Paul, uh, because if Christ is a model of these things, then we should see the believers that come after Christ modeling these exact same things. And so we wanted to go today and and go through the life of uh, the Apostle Paul real briefly and just kind of hit those same exact points that we hit um, throughout the life of Christ and show how the Apostle Paul followed that exact same model. Uh, again, my name is Simeon Brazel, and I am a missionary to Australia. And as usual, I am joined uh, by Pastor Brian Stewart uh, from Bloomington, Indiana. Say hello, preacher. Hello. All righty. So we are uh, looking forward to having this discussion. I'm pretty excited about it, honestly. Being able to uh, one of my, one of my favorite things about scripture is uh, how the scripture does never contradict itself. And uh, you know, it, it, it's a wonderful thing to know that you can study throughout scripture and you're going to get the same answer no matter where you're looking. Amen. And uh, Amen. so here we are in the New Testament after Jesus into heaven, ascended into heaven, and we're going to look at the life of the apostle. Paul. Um, so I'm going to begin, and we're going to take a look in uh, Ephesians. So if you will, if you have your have your Bible, have the ability to take a look, then do that. Uh, if you're like me and you listen to things in the car, then just try and follow along. We'll read the scriptures for you. Uh, but in the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. He begins in chapter 1, verse number 1. And he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus... Grace be unto you and peace from our God, uh, from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus. And in Christ's life, we looked at first who Christ was sent by. He said, "As the Father hath sent me, even so send I you." So he was sent of the Father, and he was sending out the disciples. And Paul here in Ephesians is making quite clear who sent him. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Uh, so again, he's proving that same thing, that being sent is something that has to happen from God. Uh, he says here, I'm an apostle, and that means I'm a delegate or I am a sent one. Right, and so that, right. ver- that word itself means sent one, and then he clearly identifies who that it was sent by. Right, and we don't believe that the the office of apostle is still around, but the function of apostle is certainly still around. Amen. Um, that we are sent by Jesus Christ. And so it was by the will of God here as well. And so uh, clearly identifying this was not man's thoughts or man's ideas or man's uh, intention. And he was sent to a specific group of people. He was sent to the saints. And so that includes every believer mm-hmm. uh, that was uh called to be a minister. We all are called to be ministers. Right. There is no 
difference between uh, a uh, full-time Christian worker and somebody who is uh, doing a career or having other responsibilities. We mm-hmm. all are on equal footing and have a responsibility to minister for, for on God's behalf. Right, and I think it's I think it's worth mentioning too. You know how you how, how you brought up that idea that every every single Christian is a full-time worker and with that we are full-time you can't be part-time christian you are a full-time christian yes. and a christian in through all throughout the new testament it's quite clear they didn't differentiate full-time from part-time or from you know uh someone who's paid to do the to to be i mean you can't pay a pastor to be a pastor that's correct yeah. you, you just can't um there's there's no amount of money that can pay a pastor to be a pastor you can pay him to preach a sermon you can pay a guest guy to come in and speak or or, or do a puppet show or whatever the case may be but you can't pay someone to pastor a church um that's we'll a actually see that in one of our passages coming up we'll see the the weight and the responsibility of of the churches as paul says that is one of the points we'll look at here in a little bit right well why don't you take a look and reinforce us um on this idea throughout paul's writings of how he is sent by jesus christ all right if we could take a look at first timothy verse one we see a very similar, almost identical statement as he introduces this book. And he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And then where it differs is just one word, by the commandment of God, our Savior. And so instead of saying by the will of God, and now he's saying by the commandment of God. I think that's interesting because uh, the will of God is certainly expressed by what? His commandments. And so he's saying the same thing, but he's giving us a nuance of understanding here. Mm -hmm. And uh, he clearly is identifying that, again, who is the one that he is a sent one? uh, He is an apostle of Jesus Christ, and uh, he is uh, commanded by God, our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, which is our hope? And so he continues to remind us of the hope that we have in Christ as well. And then in the book, Second Timothy 1.1, he has a very similar uh, intro as he did in Ephesians 1.1, where he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. So he goes back to that same introduction. But notice what he asks, adds after that. He says, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. And so we see that he is talking about the promise of life, which kind of takes us back to our last episodes where we've talked about what is discipleship. It is me and you being sent with the Great Commission to teach people to observe whatsoever God's commanded them. Who are we teaching that to? Those that are saved and baptized. Mm -hmm. And we've already kind of uh, covered that order and why. But notice he's saying here, it's according to the promise of life. And we have already defined discipleship as the transfer of life. It isn't the transfer of my life, but it's the transfer of Christ's life in me as I give the words that he has been given to me. So as I've learned his word and applied them to my life, I need to pass that and teach others to observe whatsoever he's commanded me. Mm -hmm. And so Paul is continuing that same emphasis here by saying, hey, I was sent by Christ. Christ, like you pointed out, was sent by the Father, and so send I you, Christ says to Paul. And we see this example in Paul's life as he is identifying. And what is he, what is the purpose of the sending? It is still connected 
to the will of God, to the commandment of God, to the word of God, and to the promise of life that comes through Christ Jesus. And just as a teaser, the order, whether it's Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus, is an intentional thing in Scripture. Maybe we can get into that in the future, but uh, it has to do with the uh, office and the ministry of Christ mm -hmm. and Jesus. Right. And it's an interesting study in and of itself, but we don't have time for that today. I think it's worth noting, too, this happens all throughout the Old Testament. Um, God doesn't use somebody that he doesn't first send. And, you know, you can see this in Gideon's life. You see this in uh, Abraham's life. You see this in Isaac and Jacob and, and Moses and all these men. He doesn't just, they, they don't do something great because they're something great. They do something great because they're sent. And then we find in yeah. the New Testament, as Christ is ascending, that he gives us the responsibility of being sent. Um, all of us, all of us believers, specifically the church as a whole, has a job of being sent into the into all the world. So that being sent by Jesus Christ is something that Paul can say, standing on authority, not just because he saw the risen Christ, not just because he had that calling given to him from the risen Christ himself, but because the risen Christ has given all of us that responsibility to be sent. Um, so in a manner of speaking, we're all sent ones. We're all apostles in a manner of speaking, not not that we have the office of apostle, but we have the function of an apostle to be sent to someone else. Yeah. Um, what an awesome privilege and responsibility that is, isn't it? Right, yeah. So and in, in, in the last episode, we also took a look at how Christ was not only sent of God, but that the calling uh, to be a disciple was a calling to be with Christ. And it was a calling to be with discipler, who in this, who in that case was Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul, uh, in Romans, chapter number fifteen, and in verse number thirty-two, he makes a point to the Roman church that he has a desire to spend time with them. And in verse number thirty-two, he says that I may come unto you with joy, by the will of God, and may be with you, and may with you be refreshed. Uh, Paul has a desire not to just write letters. You know, he wants to be with them, and that's that has that has a twofold thing. You know, he, he I think he does want to give them some instruction. I think he does want to give them some encouragement and disciple them a little bit. Uh, he also just wants to have that fellowship with them uh, because that's so necessary. Yeah. Well, as we were talking uh, before, that you pointed out that that fellowship is centered around what? It's around Jesus Christ and right. His Word. It's what which is the whole reason. Any believer has a relationship with any other believer, especially within the church. And notice this is, he's talking, how, how is this going to, how is he going to come to him with joy? Well, it's by everybody uh, doing things according to the mm -hmm. will of God. And what is the net result of that is that they are refreshed. And so uh, just an encouraging thing that, hey, when we spend time with the one who is discipling us, it is a joy and refreshing to us because mm -hmm. why? We are doing things around the will of God. But also when you and I get to spend time with another person, we can be a source of joy, not actually us as the, the one that produces it, but we are the conduit of that joy, I guess would be a more accurate way to say that, and, and a, a conduit of refreshing to them because of the time we spend together with them. Yeah, Paul doesn't take the time to talk about the church barbecues, you know, in, in the in the scripture. <laughs> He's talking about spending time with them in the word of God, and that's because every, every time Paul's writing to them, he's talking to them, obviously, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's giving them the Word of God. And um, it, it was so necessary that they hear the Word of God, that they fellowship on the Word of God. And we talked about even, even your relationship and my relationship with each other. Uh, we would never have met 
if it wasn't for the word of God. You know, we, we met because of different church functions when I was a child. Um, we met sure. in Illinois and then we kind of reconnected in West Virginia and now the church there supports us. Um, but that relationship would not exist without the word of God. And if, and if we were to take the relationship that we've been given with each other from the Lord, uh, and and turn it into something carnal. You know, if we just you know, the two of us, the main thing that we started talking about from now on was sports or something, then we mm-hmm. would be taking advantage of a relationship that God gave us. That relationship was built upon the Word of God, and uh, that's one of the things that I really enjoy about the relationship that we have, and so many other relationships that I have, is that the center of that relationship is not a friendship based on something carnal, but a friendship based on the Word of God. And we have fun, and we do things that are outside of Scripture from time to time. Um, you know that we don't base every conversation we have that way, but it's not fellowship. Yeah. Uh, it's friendship, yep. but it's not fellowship unless it's based around the word of God. And I think that's important to know. That's yeah. That's, that's a wonderful point to the fact that, Hey, it, it is fun to have relationships that are built on the Lord Jesus Christ. It is refreshing to have those relationships. And the more mm-hmm. you do it, the more you see the value of it, and then you realize that everything that that we do that is based around the will of God and the Word of God and and for the purpose of Christ and and in obedience to Him, everything that we do is we're investing in eternity. I'm not wasting this time. It's that way in marriage too. My wife and I have almost absolutely nothing in common. We are very polarly different people. We just are in almost every aspect of life. But we have one thing very in common, and that's our relationship in Jesus Christ. And we grew together as we grew in Christ. That's the only way I can explain how the two of us even get along. (laughs) So that's very intuitive of you, brother. (laughs) So, all right, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we have another uh, instance here where he's talking about wanting to be with them. And he's talking about some pretty interesting stuff. So let's look at this chapter uh, 4 of 1 Corinthians, starting in verse 15. He says, For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ. Let's just pause there for a moment. I think he's kind of letting us know how many times have you heard a different preacher or a different missionary come through? Uh, How many Mm -hmm. different Sunday school teachers have you had? Uh, Maybe even uh, different pastors over the course of your years if your job has moved you around or uh, you've uh, had occasion to be in different churches. Uh, He says, hey, you have 10,000 instructors, yet have ye not many fathers. For Mm -hmm. in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore, I beseech you, be ye followers of me. And if you're going to follow somebody, you got to be with them. Right. You got to be around them. And so he's saying, hey, you can have a lot of people that may, you know, reach out to you and and minister the word of God to you in this time and that time, but you don't have very many that you get to be close with and have that almost intimate relationship like a father and a son. And then he says in verse 17, for this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son. And so there's that relationship with Timothy that we uh, will look at and and are looking at here, that it's a close father-son relationship. There's been instruction, there's been care, there's been all of that that's been involved there. And Timothy is what? He is faithful in the Lord. And he's going to bring you, he says to these Corinthians, and again, this is the book of Corinthians where he's dealing with a church that is very immature, when they have been given the truth and they have not received it, they've heard the words of God, but they have not uh, yet uh, 
been putting it into practice. And so their wisdom uh, is not being demonstrated. And he's having to send them Timothy to help them be brought back into remembrance of the things that Paul taught them, which were the things of Christ. And he says, I don't teach this just to you, Corinthians. I teach it to every church. So as he is continuing to remind them, hey, I'm sending this stuff to you. I'm teaching these stuff. I've already taught it to you. Now I'm having to teach it to you again. And that kind of reminds me of what is the Christ tells us and what God tells us in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12, where it says that, hey, when you ought to be teachers, you need the first oracles of the things of God to be taught to you again. These Corinthian believers are, are very immature in their approach and their lifestyle and way they're living life. And they're needing to be dis really discipled again. And God is sending them the gift, and Timothy, or Paul is sending them the, the gift of Timothy uh, to go back and to really reestablish them in their walk and who they are in Christ. Yeah, and I think it's important, too, to note in, in Corinthians how Paul makes a point to have a, show that he has a relationship with these people. Um, because we're talking, about, we're talking about how the, the work is, is, is a relationship. A discipleship is a relationship between two people. And Paul says in verse 14, he says, I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. And then he uses the exact same phrase in verse 17 to describe Timothy. So in, in, in verse 17, he says, for this cause, I have sent unto you Timothy, who is my beloved son. So that phrase, beloved son, uh, he uses to describe the ordinary church member uh, in 1 Corinthians and he uses the same thing again to describe Timothy, who is the preacher who he has spent so much time with, who he writes two books of scripture to, um, who is who is a pastor. And um, and I think it's interesting to note that Paul makes it clear that the relationship that he has with Timothy, yes, it's a very special relationship. It's a close and endearing relationship. Uh, but he has a similar relationship with the ordinary believers in 1 Corinthians. And it's a discipleship relationship. It's a, You don't get the relationship of, of a beloved son to somebody unless you spent a great deal of time with that person. And uh, and then at, then at the end of the chapter in verse 21, he says, What will you? Shall I come unto you with a rod? or in love and in the spirit of meekness. So they're a beloved son. Um, but you know, Christ says everyone that he loveth, he chasteneth. Right. So Paul is, he's saying, look, I'll come, uh, and I'm going to come to you in verse 19. He says, I'm going to come to you shortly. Um, but he's saying I'm coming and I'm, I can come with a rod or I can come in love and in the spirit of meekness. I'm sending you Timothy to give you another shot to give you another chance. And, uh, you know, we could, that, that'll preach right there. But, uh, the point we're trying to make here is that this is a relationship that he has with these people. It was a call to be with Paul and Paul's the discipler. And he's, he's saying, listen, um, you need to follow, you need to follow me as I follow Christ. He says that in several places as well. So it's, it, again, it's a, it's a relationship that he has with these people. He wouldn't be able to speak this way to them if he didn't have a, a, a close relationship with them. And I think it's interesting to note in verse 21, he says at the beginning of that verse, what will ye? In other words, whether he comes with the rod or he comes in love and in meekness is up to really how these people choose to live and the way they choose to live. It's kind of like a child. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, if your child is obedient and they're uh, doing what you've asked of them to do and as a parent, then you can come to that child in love and 
and meekness and, and a spirit of meekness. You don't need to come in with the roar and with the rod. But uh, when they don't respond to your words and they don't value what you say as the parent, as the uh, God-given authority in their life, then you need to come with the rod and in love with discipline and uh, correction and reproof and those things that need to be corrected because we love our child. We want that child to do well. We, and the reason we do that is for their profit, not for ours, as we see God talk about mm-hmm. in the book of Hebrews. And it's not something we want to do as parents either. You know, Paul has no desire to come with a rod, um, but it's something that has to be done on, on, on occasion. But the whole point of it is that he does love them, and so he is willing to correct Amen. them. And he has a relationship with them in such a way that they are able to take the correction because they know he loves them. Amen. And, you know, I think a lot of times we lose people in church um, because of correction and we lose them in church because of correction because uh, we don't have that relationship with them. We haven't developed and cultivated a relationship with them. They don't have any particular love for their disciple or for their pastor uh, <laughs> because they don't have a relationship with them. And in uh, and I'm, I'm for sake of time, I'm not going to turn there right now. But in both in Second John and Third John, you know, this isn't the Apostle Paul, but it just reemphasizes what we're talking about. Second and Third John both, he writes to them and he says, "I want to meet with you face to face." Yeah, because what what is what is all the, uh, the vast majority of the end of the New Testament is letters, right? They're not in person meetings, they're not recordings of sermons or personal discipleship sessions. Um, they're letters, but almost every one of these letters it has something to the effect of "I have a desire to be with you. I have a desire to be with you. I want to be with you." Um, and so it's important. Uh, and, and and John, I think it's real important because John actually specifically says face to face. Yes. He doesn't just, you know, he wants to be one on one with these people, looking in their face as they look in his face, and give them some instruction that he can't convey in a letter. It has yeah. to be face to face. And that discipleship, you know, you and I have done a lot of things by video, but it just isn't as effective uh, as yeah. a face to face interaction. Even the people listening to this audio, they can learn a lot from this. Uh, but what if someone was standing across? from them giving them this instruction uh you know if someone was standing across from you giving you this exact instruction you can read their face you can see their body language um as we're recording this i can see you Mm -hmm. and so we can read each other's body language and see what's going on and and it's so much more so much more effective a form of communication yeah well and remember in genesis the very first thing that god identified that was not good in all of his creation was that man should not be alone Mm -hmm. now obviously he was specifically talking about a husband-wife relationship there, but it's also not good for us as human beings to be alone. Uh, we need interaction with each other. And in John, Second John chapter 1, verse 12, where you were referencing, where it says he wants to speak face-to-face with them, he says that our joy may be full. Mm-hmm. There's actually joy that is expressed and and felt and and experienced when we meet face to face with other believers our family and god and certainly uh you know that would certainly apply in a marriage situation Mm -hmm. as well but that's not the application we're looking at here so he says hey i want to be with you so that our joy not just yours but mine and yours can be full and so that's a, a a wonderful thing about being with them in discipleship I think that's one of the critical things that no matter how you do discipleship, uh, no matter what you're going to teach and maybe what order, obviously there's some uh, things that make sense. But one of the critical elements is that it has to be one-on-one, face-to-face. You have to be with them. And we see that in Christ. We see that in Paul. We see that in John. 
and we see that and i've seen that in my ministry over the years that it's been much more effective face to face and that being with them is critical to their furthering the ministry itself. Um, in in Second Timothy chapter one, Paul is is writing again to his son in the ministry, Timothy, someone who he loves dearly, and he writes in verse number four. He says, "Greatly desiring to see thee." So there it is again. Yep. He wants to see him with his own eyes. He greatly desires to see him. It says, "Being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy." That's that's an odd expression. I'm not going to take time to dig into that right now. Um, but then in verse five, he says, "When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee." Which first dwelt in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. What's he saying? He's saying, okay, so I have a desire to see you do the work of the ministry because he's going to put his hands on him. Uh, he's blessing him to do the work of the ministry, but he doesn't have any desire to send him or put his hands on him and send him until he has first confirmed the calling that is in him and until he has first confirmed the things that he's been taught. Amen. And so he makes he makes a point to mention that he calls to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in him. Then he talks about some of the training that he received from his grandmother, from his mother. And then he, he makes a point again to say, and I am persuaded that in thee also. And then he says, wherefore, in other words, the reason why I put those things in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. So the reason why I was willing to send you in the first place, I was willing to give you work to do was because I knew what you'd been taught. And Jesus did the same thing with his disciples. He said he didn't send them out to preach. Remember, we looked at how he didn't send them out to preach until he had called them to be with him. Uh, there, there had to be a training that took place and we can't just throw people out to do the work in the ministry. Uh, you know, so often we have a guy that leads the music just because he can sing. Well, how mature is this guy? Should he be leading people in worship if he doesn't even know how to worship? That's a good point. Uh, you know, probably not. We probably need to sit down and talk to him about what worship is before we put him in a position of leadership in that way, you know? So he doesn't send he doesn't send Timothy to do anything until he's confirmed in his own heart and mind the things that Timothy knows. In chapter three, he goes on to give us a further understanding of that same point that you're making there, Simeon. He, in verse 10, he says, But thou, talking to Timothy, hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, mm-hmm. purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all Lord delivered me. And so Paul is reminding Timothy here saying, hey, you've seen this, you've been with me, you've identified these things, you know what I've been through. You know that the work comes second to the relationship. The relationship comes first, mm-hmm. and he says, hey, all of these things. And then in verse 12, he says, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But look at verse 14, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And so this work is not as important as the the knowing what you're supposed to know and doing. And one of the ways I say this is I need to be who God wants me to be in Christ mm-hmm. before I can do what God wants me to do for Christ. Right. 
my pastor says all the time, um, speaking of uh, the Great Commission, he says, you know, the noun has to come before the verb. He says, the Bible says that you are a witness. And then he tells them to go yes. out. You have to be a witness before you can witness. You know, the, the word witness can be used as a noun or a verb. And so my pastor talks all the time about how the noun has to come before the verb. You have to be a witness before you can witness. You have to know these things and be taught and instructed before you can live them out in ministry. And uh, if every Christian is supposed to be a minister, as we've discussed so many times now, every Christian then needs to be prepared to do that before they can do that. In Romans 7, uh, verse number 4, it says, Wherefore, my brethren... Ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. In verse 5 it says, For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth, to bring forth fruit unto death. So we have an option. We can bear two different kinds of fruit. We can and naturally, we're going to bring forth the fruit unto death because we are naturally dead men. Uh, that that old man that's still in us wants to bring forth fruit unto death. But we have an option now, um, and and that option comes that fruit bearing. We talked about how someone who is spending time with him, the natural outcrop of that is that they now bear forth fruit. Right? Yeah. We, we talked about bearing fruit, bearing much or bearing more fruit and bearing much fruit. Right? From um, John 15. And here Paul is right. Yeah. And here's and here Paul is confirming the exact same thing. He's saying that ye are also become dead to the law by the body of Christ, the church, right? The body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that's Christ, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. Good fruit, but that fruit comes again from that close relationship with Jesus Christ. And that close relationship with Jesus Christ, he says, comes uh, because we're dead to the law by the body of Christ. That's a church. That's somebody who's intentionally discipling someone, bringing them along so that they can bear fruit. And whether we're talking about a vine or a tree or anything that's going to bear fruit, even a human, it has to be what? Mature in order to bear fruit. Mm -hmm. Bearing fruit is a sign of maturity. And right. so... And it's, it's the product. It's not the goal. It's the product. Yep. It's the goal is to be with him. The goal, that's correct. So if we can look at the fifth uh, point that we identified with Christ, and that is that Christ required a commitment. He said, follow me. And, uh, and then he required his disciples to follow him. He didn't make them do it. He required that of them, and they would step up. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and verse 23 uh, down through 28, we see uh, that Paul is talking about the kind of commitment that he had, that, that Christ required of him. And we see that he is demonstrating that commitment when he says in verse 23, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings awful, often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, 
and weariness and painfulness and watchings often and hungering and thirsting and fastings often and cold and nakedness beside those things that are without. He's saying all of those are things that come from without. That which cometh upon me daily is the care of all the churches. And so Paul demonstrates here that, hey, whether the pressure is coming from out or the pressure is coming from within, mm-hmm. either way, he is is committed to the care of the churches. And we've kind of seen that with some of the other passages we looked at today. And we're seeing that and there's no way you can go through all that Paul just listed out and the things that he had experienced mm-hmm. without being committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, and it shows the commitment of the discipler because he's talking about the care of all the churches. He's talking. He's he's writing to a a church in that instance. He also writes to Timothy about some of the same things. Um, That's for sure. So he's you know he's talking he's talking about the great affliction that he's gone under. It, it does definitely underline the commitment that he had to discipleship and, and and a desire that he had to see to see people grow even through all the things that he was dealing with. And we see the same thing again if we go back to that passage we looked at earlier in Second Timothy. Um, in in Second Timothy chapter number three verses verse fourteen he says or, yeah we'll start with verse number thirteen he says but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse um, deceiving and being deceived in verse number twelve he says yea and all that uh, live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution so uh, knowing the things that Paul suffered and then he says that evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse you know that that's that's depressing because Paul went through some really rough stuff. So if men are getting worse, um, then that's, that's really not very encouraging at all. But then verse number 14, he says, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Now, obviously we learn everything of Christ and and of the scriptures because the Holy Spirit's the one that confirms it in our own heart. But in quite a literal way, he learned these things from Paul. And, um, so he's, he's, he's saying, you know, you know who you've learned them from. You've learned them from the Holy ghost. You've learned them from Christ and you've learned them from me and know, know who you've learned them from coming from a point of persecution in Paul's own life. He can say of a surety that all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution because he lived that out in his own life. Yeah. And he writes to Timothy and he says, look, look, I had a commitment to Christ to disciple you. And now you as the one being discipled and discipling others are also going to have to have that commitment. We looked in Christ's life about how Christ had to take time, a great deal of time and invest himself in these disciples. Uh, And then also that the disciples had a great deal of commitment on their end. And the same thing is being lived out in the life of Paul and Timothy here. I like that word in verse 14. He says, but continue. Mm -hmm. You can't continue in something you just started. Right. You got to continue in something that has been, it's been a relationship. There's been a, a familiarity. There's got to be an understanding. And so when we continue in that, and so really you and I discipling and ministering to others through discipleship and face-to-face, one-on-one, intentional, uh, trying to present somebody mature in Christ, that's just a continuation of what God has done with his son, mm-hmm. what his son has done with the apostles, what the apostles have done with the faithful believers that are saints right. and uh, those that followed after them and down through the generations mm-hmm. as the word of God has been faithfully preserved and delivered to us. Now we have that privilege to continue to faithfully continue in the things that we have learned 
primarily from the Holy Spirit, but from those faithful men also that have demonstrated and women that have demonstrated the truths of God's word in our own lives. Right. And Paul makes that clear at the end of this chapter, too. He says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be, there's that word again, perfect. Yep. Throughly furnished unto all good works. That presenting people perfect in Jesus Christ. And and we talked about that in the last, I think the last three weeks in a row, we've mentioned this yep. because it keeps coming up in the scripture. Paul's saying, listen, I taught you all these things. Why? Because it was my job to present you perfect in Jesus Christ. And now, Timothy, you need to continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Timothy's job now is to teach it to faithful men who will be able to teach it all to others also. And we see this model that Christ laid out of discipleship, spending time with these men, that they'd be with him, with him in order to, to bear fruit. They couldn't bear fruit without being with him. Mm-hmm. And then knowing that there is a commitment involved in discipleship. And I think it's so important that we looked even after Christ that Paul followed this exact same model. So I think that's all we have time for today. Uh, but thank you all for listening. And uh, we'll continue uh, talking about this and hopefully get some more practical application in the next couple of episodes um, on this having a life of discipleship. Thank you for joining us for this episode of General Order 4. On the next episode, we'll continue our discussion on having a life of discipleship. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us by email at generalorder4 at gmail.com or on Twitter at generalorder4. Please feel free to like, share, and subscribe.